You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. If you would please turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We have come today to the 46th verse of this 12th chapter. We're going to read to verse 50. Matthew chapter 12. We read beginning at verse 46. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Now someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's go to our God together in prayer and ask His blessing upon this time in His Word. Lord, thank You for what we have just sung. Thank You for giving us the opportunity to give voice to what is in our hearts, which is thankfulness and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your mercy and grace that explains each one of us, Your children. If we were to be saved by our works, we were all damned. But because of the work of Christ, because of the life and death and resurrection of our Savior, we are alive and saved forevermore. Even after having been made new creations, new creatures, we are often grieved, Lord, by our dullness, our lack of zeal, our notable lack of affection for things that we should be wholeheartedly embracing. Lord, thank You that even now You regard us with mercy. We stand before You clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus, which has been imputed to our account. And thank You, Lord, that You don't let go of us and You're at work in our lives each and every day in ways that we are mindful of and ways that we are not, conforming us to the image of Christ. Our desire this next hour is to glorify You, to speak Your Word in a way that is right, cuts it straight. We are dependent upon You for this. We ask You, Lord, for Your power to be on display in the preaching of Your Word this day, not only in the way that Your Word is handled, but in the way that it lands upon us. Lord, would You be at work in our hearts as we listen to it this day. Every one of Your children has come into this room with needs. Again, Lord, some things we're aware of, some things we've not yet met with that you know we need to be prepared for. I'm thankful that your word is sufficient for these things. The work of your spirit is sufficient, and we ask you to meet the needs of your church as your word goes forth. As has already been mentioned multiple times this morning, we are also mindful that the lost are among us, and we ask that you would save. We'll give you thanks for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. False assurance. What a sad, tragic thing this is when people believe that they are saved and in fact they are lost. 
to believe that you are safe, secure, on your way to heaven when you are in truth one breath away, one heartbeat away from hell. We saw in Matthew chapter 7 that a day will arrive when many, many, the Bible says, will stand before the Lord Jesus and say that they have done many things in His name. And they call Him Lord, Lord. Have we not preached in Your name and performed various things in His name? And He's going to say to them, Depart from Me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. I never knew you. How does that happen? How do people live their lives on this side of eternity believing that they belong to Jesus only to discover one day that they never did? Right? Not, not discovering that they once did and then somehow forfeited that relationship, but rather discovering that He never knew them. They were never His people. How does that happen? Some people will have been deceived by resting in their own words. They find confidence in what they say about Jesus, what they say about the gospel, what they say about the church. They, they learn what to say and they say what they've learned and they rest in what they say. Or they rest in a decision they made. They look back to a time, to a date, to an event, and they go, this is where I asked Jesus into my heart. I prayed the prayer. Some will have rested, some who are deceived will have rested in, in what the Bible describes in the book of James as a demonic faith. You say that God is one, you do well. The devils believe and tremble. And so their false confidence is in truthful beliefs about God, right doctrine, right confessions. I know the truth and I have affirmed those truths. I've embraced them on an intellectual level. I don't deny them. Therefore, I must belong to God because I have right doctrine, sound doctrine. Reminds me of something an old preacher once said, Vance Havner was his name. He said, many Baptists are straight as a gun barrel doctrinally and just as empty spiritually. Some will have rested in their activities. We hear that in Matthew 7. Preaching, teaching, serving. How could I have done all these things and not really have known Jesus? Some will have rested in what other people thought about them. Everyone believed you to be a Christian. Everyone treated you like a Christian. No one doubted that you belonged to the family of God. And so you found rest in other people's assessment of you. Some people, we see this also in Matthew 7, will have rested in what they consider to be legitimate signs and wonders. Claimed miracles, claimed demonic deliverances. Or to take it at the more common level, they've trusted their feelings. They've had some powerful experiences, sat in a worship service, and you're singing songs, and you get goosebumps, and you associate that with a real relationship with God. How could I have these feelings? How could I have these sensations? How could I have these experiences and not really know Jesus? Some will have rested in their relationship to the visible church. I went to church every Sunday. 
I went to Bible studies. I participated in church camps and retreats, and I enjoyed those things. I enjoyed the relationships. How could I participate and enjoy and not really belong to Jesus? Some of the people who will have been deceived will have rested in earthly relationships. We heard it in the baptismal waters this morning. I was raised in a Christian family. My mom and dad were Christians. We were taught the gospel from knee high up. I can't remember a time when I didn't believe. Again, thinking about belief on an intellectual level. Not the kind of belief that is the result of regeneration. Not the kind of belief that is the result of the new birth. Some people will have rested in their earthly relationships. And that's what our text this morning relates to. What we have before us is both a warning and an encouragement. It's encouraging because we find in these verses that when you know Jesus, you have a family relationship with God. Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. To be saved is to become a part of God's family. You are truly a child of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. What does it mean to have been saved? What does it mean to know Jesus? It means that you are now truly a child of God. A child of God both in terms of receiving a new nature, but also in terms of being adopted. You belong to God's family. So in that sense, our verses are an encouragement, but also in these verses is a warning that when the day of judgment arrives, this is all that will really matter. In the realm of relationships, the only question to be answered is, are you a part of Christ's family? Not who is your earthly family, not where can you trace your connections in terms of ancestors, even in a godly line. My grandfather was a preacher. My father was a preacher. None of that matters, you see. Are you a part of Christ's family? Do you really know Him? 1 John 5.12 says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So this morning we think together about Christ's family. And question we all examine and and answer is, do I really belong to that family? Am I really one of Christ's disciples? First thing I want you to notice with me, we, we see in verses 46 and 47, a request meant to express concern. A request meant to express concern. Verse 46, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, His mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Now someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Our Lord is in a house. 
The house is so packed full of people that nobody else can get inside. This is why when Mary and the half-brothers of Jesus show up, they're left outside asking for Jesus to come out and to speak to them because they can't get inside the house. The Gospel of Luke tells us about these crowded conditions. Luke 8, 19, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Why has Mary come? Why have the half-brothers of Jesus come? Well, Mark's account gives us a sense of why they have made this trip to the house to speak to Jesus. Mark 3 verse 20 says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Now to be clear, the Bible does not say that Mary thought he was out of his mind, or that his half-brothers thought he was out of his mind. It says that when his family heard that it was being said that he had lost his senses, they went out to get him. To say that he's out of his mind is very, very much the same as saying he has a demon. I think this is how the reasoning would have gone. He claims he's greater than the temple. He claims that he's greater than Jonah. He claims that he's greater than Solomon. He's lost his mind. And we know he had not lost his mind. He was telling the absolute truth. This is the Son of God. But I think it demonstrates once again that you cannot stand in the middle on Jesus. Either he was who he claimed to be, greater than the temple, greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, the Son of God, God come to earth, either that's who Jesus was or he was a madman. Because these are not small claims, are they? Let anyone in this room stand up and say, I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than Jonah. I'm greater than Solomon. And we will all laugh them out of the room. You're crazy. So it's not surprising that with people who did not yet believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, they would think he's out of his mind. It's also worth noting that at this time, the half-brothers of Jesus, I keep saying half-brothers because you know Jesus, born of a virgin. No earthly father, Mary his mother, conceived by the Spirit of God in the womb of Mary, so that the children born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born, are related to Jesus, but only via Mary, so his half-brothers. He also had half-sisters. It's worth noting that his brothers at this time did not believe in him. They come to believe later. John chapter 7, verse 1, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Now if you don't believe in him yet, 
By the way, his brothers do come to believe in him later by the grace of God. But if you don't believe in him, then maybe as you hear people say he's out of his mind, there's a part of you that wonders about how sound he is also. Why does his family come to get Jesus? I think the best understanding is they go out to rescue him from trouble. They hear what people are saying about him and it makes them afraid. They recognize the rising tide of hatred and opposition against him. They understand that he is headed for a major confrontation and they want to go get him and basically tell him, you can't keep saying these things. You're headed for trouble. So as they arrive at the house, they can't get inside. They send word to Jesus. They wish to speak to him. Why this request? It is meant to express concern. His family loves him. His family cares about him. They're concerned about him. They're afraid for him. And this is why they're asking to see him and to talk to him. Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Second thing I want you to see with me. A request meant to express concern. Second, a question meant to arrest attention. Verse 48, but Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? That seems like a strange question, wouldn't you agree? By the way, it seems that at this point, Joseph has already died. That's why Mary is the one coming. That's why his brothers are the ones coming. I mentioned earlier, he also had sisters. Mark 6 verse 3 says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So the, the so-called doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary is a lie. Mary had children after Jesus. And you can just imagine the, the puzzled look on the face of the person who brings the news that his mom and his brothers are outside when Jesus says, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? If I'm the guy bringing that news, I think I'm, I'm thinking to myself, the people standing outside. <laughs> right? Your mom, your brothers are here. But why does Jesus ask this question? Because he had an amazing ability to ask questions and to give answers that took hold of people's attention. There's something he wants to teach. There's something he wants to, to say that he wants their attention before he says it. And the question that Jesus asked is something that we need to ask to this very day. That didn't just apply in that setting, in that context. If we rightly understand the question, it, it is important for the rest of time. Let me phrase it this way. Who are the children of God? Who really belongs to the family of Christ? The writer of Hebrews made plain that Jesus came into the world to secure the salvation of brothers. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
For it was fitting that he, that, that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ came into the world, took to himself flesh and blood, an additional nature, a true human nature, so that he might die in the stead of the people whom he would save. And those people whom he would save, he will call brothers. He will say to the Father, Behold, I and the children God has given me. And so the question comes, to whom do these verses apply? Who are his brothers? Who is his mother? Who are his sisters? Who are his brothers? In the spiritual sense, in the salvation sense. That's the point Jesus wants to make. Yes, my mother and brothers are outside the door, but in the, in the most lasting, significant sense, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? It raises another equally important question. Do we recognize the difference between sharing a union with someone according to flesh and blood and sharing a union with someone according to faith? Jesus made this point with the scribes and Pharisees when they boasted of their relationship to Abraham. Jesus says, I know you're sons of Abraham according to the flesh, but your father's the devil. You have a flesh and blood relationship to Abraham, but you're not really Abraham's children. Not in the spiritual sense, because Abraham did not do what you're doing. You remember that text, John 8, 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children... You would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Do you recognize that you are flesh and blood descendants of Abraham, but you're not his children according to faith? We also must look beyond flesh and blood. Husband and wife, you share a one flesh bond as a result of marriage. But do you share the same faith? 
There's a real union. Marriage is a creation ordinance. It's not just for Christians. So when a man and a woman get married, there's a bond established in the sight of God. There's a union there, a one flesh union. But in a marriage, you can have one or the other, a believer, when their spouse is an unbeliever. You share a fleshly bond, a flesh and blood bond, as it were, but you don't share a spiritual bond. You don't share the same faith. And by the way, you can both talk about Jesus and not share the same faith. You can both claim to be Christians and not share the same faith. One truly saved, the other deceived. Children, you come from a father and a mother who know and love Jesus, but do you share their faith? We heard it in the baptistry this morning. You can grow up in a Christian family and be lost. Mom and dad, genuine believers, teach you the gospel from the earliest time you can remember. You embrace it intellectually, externally. You grow up then attending the church. You basically grow up in the church. But have you known the new birth? Are you a new creation? Do you have spiritual life? You will not be in heaven one day because mom and dad knew Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you love him? You do recognize that coming from a family of Christians doesn't make you a Christian. And so you can be a family member from a flesh and blood perspective and be absolute strangers from a salvation perspective. And man, you see this, don't you? You see husbands and wives that their thinking is entirely different. Because one knows Jesus and the other doesn't. Their worldview is entire, it's, they're, on, they're on different pages. And you have parents and children who just do not see the world the same way. Because in some cases, children know Jesus and their parents don't. Or their parents know Jesus and they don't. And, and they, they never are able to really walk together Because though they know each other on that fleshly level, they are strangers to each other on the spiritual level. And so you can bring up any topic, as it were, almost any topic, and there's going to be great disagreement because one can see and the other is blind. One has holy affections and the other does not. I mean, their desires are different. And their standard of authority is different. Because for a believer, the standard of authority is the Bible. But for an unbeliever, the real standard, no matter what they say, the real standard of authority is themselves. They are the standard. So a request meant to express concern, a question by Jesus meant to arrest attention. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Third thing I want you to see, he then gives an answer meant to secure faith. An answer meant to secure faith. He answers his own question, verse 49, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. His family consists of disciples. He stretched his hand out toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brothers. 
Whoever does the will of my Father who's in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. This makes very clear, doesn't it? The family of Christ is a family of disciples. And so that's the question we have to grapple with. Are you a disciple of Jesus? You grew up in a Christian family. Okay. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a learner? What does it mean to be a disciple? It means you're a learner. Are you a learner at the feet of Jesus? It also means to be a follower. Do you follow Christ? The truth about him has been in your mind. His name has been on your lips. Your body has engaged in activities associated with his name, but from your heart, do you learn from him and do you follow him? Do you love him? Do you love him? Whom having not seen, Peter writes, whom having not seen, we love. This is the reality that Christians know. He identifies his disciples as family. And in so doing, he points out what you and I must recognize as important when it comes to spiritual bonds. I mean, to motion to his disciples and say, here's my family. There are lessons in this. Let me point out a few. First of all, he's emphasizing the reality of the spiritual bond, the reality of it. These really are members of the spiritual family of God. They really are. The bonds that we know in Christ are real. We know our family relationships are real. We don't struggle to, to know that. In fact, you know, there's the joke, you can't choose your family members. Whether I like them or don't like them, whether I get along with them or don't get along with them, that's my family. It's a reality. I can't deny it. Even if I'm estranged from family, I will say that's my family. Even if greatly wounded by family, so that there's bitterness in your heart toward your family in the past, you'll talk about how bad your dad was, your mom was, or, or your past was. We recognize the reality of family bonds. And when Jesus says, this is my family, he is, he is saying that this is just as real as the natural bonds he would have known with Mary and with his half-brothers and half-sisters. The spiritual bond is a reality. This is not some sort of club, just earthly organization where we sort of use brother language. You know what that's like to talk about somebody as your brother and you don't mean that they're, you have any real connection with them other than things you like or you're associating yourselves together with or you're participating in together. You know, brother in arms, for example, we use that kind of language, brother language. Well, this is not, when you talk about the, the church, it's not just brother language. It's a brother reality. It's a, a brethren reality. We really are spiritual family. We have the same spiritual father. We have the same spiritual Savior brother. We share the same spiritual life. We have been partakers of the same divine nature. We submit to the same spiritual authority. We've been given the mind of Christ, which means even where our, you know, we're being sanctified, at the core, we have the capacity to think in agreement with each other. We have the same spiritual ambitions. It is real what God has done in our lives. He has joined us together in a way that is factual. He's also emphasizing the priority of the spiritual bond, not just the reality of it, 
but the priority of it. Because his family, according to nature, is outside the door asking for him to come out, but he's in the midst of ministry. And so at that moment, he doesn't drop everything and go outside. He says, this is my family. Reminds me of when he was a boy. Mary and Joseph leave Jerusalem, somehow forget Jesus, and they circle back around to get him. And you remember where they find him. Where do they find him? The temple. Luke 2.43, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. It gives comfort to a lot of parents, doesn't it? His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, this really will give you comfort. They went a day's journey. (laughs) And then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. This was ordained by God. This was an opportunity for Jesus to make clear early on his understanding of who he is and what his priorities had to be. The spiritual bond is more lasting than the physical bonds we know. It is possible to have two members of the same family. One will spend eternity in heaven and the other will be forever separated from that family member in hell. Two people in the same spiritual family and they're in the family of God will never be separated. Every child of God will be together forever in the presence of God in the eternity to come. Which is why Jesus must be prioritized by His people. The spiritual bond must be prioritized by His people even when it means suffering, mistreatment, at the hands of those with whom we have a physical bond. You do know it's possible to suffer at the hands of your own family for your faith in Christ. Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, and by that he doesn't mean an attitude of animosity. He means a choice is made. Which certainly, when this choice is made, unbelievers, unbelieving family members, view it like hatred. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
What is Jesus demanding? He is demanding a devotion from you that surpasses every other time, every other devotion. Matthew 19, 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Why would you leave houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, lands for the sake of Christ? Because when you have unbelieving family members, sometimes that's what is required of you. They will cut you off if you follow Jesus. Will you follow Christ? So he's emphasizing not only the reality of the spiritual bond, he's emphasizing the priority of the spiritual bond. He identifies disciples as his family. And he identifies obedience to the Father as the evidence of the family identity. Okay, so how do you know that you're really in the family of God? How do you know that you're really a brother of Christ, as it were, a child of God? Verse 49, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. How do you recognize the family of Christ? These are the ones who do the will of the Father. You recognize them by their obedience to the will of the Father. Let's think about how we as believers have done the will of God. First of all, we have done God's will by believing in His Son. That's where it all begins. We have believed His good news regarding salvation. We have believed the gospel. And in doing so, we have, we have done God's will. John 1.12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. How do you explain somebody to really trust in Jesus as the Son of God? The new birth explains it. Not flesh and blood, but born of the Spirit of God. These are the ones who trust in God's Son for life. John 6.29 says, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. What do we need to do to do the works of God? Believe in Christ. So this is the beginning point for doing the will of God. It is believing the gospel. It is trusting in Jesus. And then we do the will of God by loving our brothers and sisters. One of the evidences that you belong to the family is you love the family. You love the church. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Have you experienced that? Do you know that? What it is to love another person because they are a fellow child of God. Not because you have the same interests on a natural level, not because you have the same kind of personality, not because you come from the same background, same culture. You love each other because you are children of God. You are spiritual brothers and sisters. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So we love each other in a way that's biblically submissive. We love God, we obey His commandments, and in that way we treat each other in ways that reflect our love for God and our love for each other. This is the mark of the family of God. 1 John 3.14 says, We know 
we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You may say you know Jesus, but listen, dear friend, if you don't love the church, you are giving evidence you don't know Jesus. All these people who say, and our world is full of them, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but, but I've been so wounded by the church, I've had such bad experiences, I just don't think you have to go to church to be a Christian. Ever heard that one? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. As if you can love the Father and not love His offspring. As if you can love the Father and the Son, but not love your brothers and sisters and desire to be with them. No, we know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Dear one, hear me. If you're beginning to isolate yourself from the church, if it is in your heart and mind to isolate yourself from other believers, there's something diseased going on in your soul. And if you're a true believer, you've got to deal with that as sin and let the Lord change it in you. God's people love God's people. So we do God's will by believing in God's Son. We do God's will by loving our brothers and sisters. And we do God's will then by walking according to Christ's standard. 1 John 3.10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And in that context of Romans 8, he's not talking about some sort of prompting, you know, people who follow the promptings of the Spirit. Now, what he's talking about is a new life that is on display because Christ has saved you. You now walk a new pathway. And that pathway is a pathway of righteousness. You have it in your heart because you love God and you love your brethren, to walk in the commands of God. Saved by the grace of God, but saved unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 John 2, 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In Him truly the love of God is perfected. And don't you love, we've seen it now three times in the verses I've just read, this connection between love and obedience, love and truth, love for God and truth, love for the people of God and truth. The love of God itself poured out in our hearts, demonstrated by our obedience to the truth. And what you find about people who are deceived is they are self lovers. They use the name of Jesus. They talk about knowing Christ, but they love themselves. And what Christ is teaching his people is to prefer others before yourself, to love God and to love other people. You're not first, you're last. Just as our Lord loved us in a way where he laid down his life to make us his children. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk 
in the same way in which he walked. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? It means you follow him. You walk in the same way in which he walked. You are a learner. So that the life of God's children is a believing life. It is a loving life. It is an obedient life. How do you know that you are a part of the family of Jesus? Behold, my mother, my brothers. He is my brother and sister and mother. Who is, Lord? Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So I finish by asking you, do you understand that saving faith is experienced individually? We're not saved in groups. We're not saved in families. Because of the grace and mercy of God and the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, it is often the case you have families of faith. Praise the Lord. Where mom and dad and sons and daughters come to faith in Jesus and you have a family of faith. That is a wonderful grace and mercy from God. But I can tell you this, that every member of that family had to come to faith in Christ individually. Nobody is saved by proxy. Wives are not saved by the faith of their husbands. Husbands are not saved by the faith of their wives or by their parents. On down the line. We all come to Jesus one at a time. And so if you're finding any kind of comfort about your future destiny based upon your earthly relationships, you are being deceived. It doesn't matter what your father and mother or brothers and sisters believe if you haven't believed. Second, have you rested then in natural bonds instead of supernatural bonds? Somebody hearing me, that, that if you're honest, you have found a sense of comfort in where you've come from. Maybe you've said to other people, I was raised in a Christian home. I've grown up knowing this all my life. Are, are you resting in those natural bonds? Or in a supernatural bond that had a beginning when you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do you recognize the priority of Christ, therefore, in your life? even over natural bonds. That is, if husband doesn't want to serve Jesus, sister, will you serve him? If wife doesn't want to serve Jesus, brother, will you serve him? And on down the line, do you understand that if you love father or mother, brother or sister, husband or wife, even your own self more than you love Christ, you're not worthy to be his disciple? Is Jesus preeminent? For you. But let me give you a warning because there's another danger on the other side of the truth. There's another ditch that people run into. Do you realize that, that prioritizing Christ will mean obedience to his commands regarding your natural bonds? See, there's a type of person who says, Yes, Jesus comes first which is why I'm going to the mission field. Now, I've got a sick wife or an unwilling wife. I'm thinking about church history. I'm thinking about some of the missionaries we celebrate now who literally dragged families onto the mission field and some of those families perished on the mission field. They didn't even want to go. But there's this, this 
misunderstanding of what it means to make Jesus first. And if you put him first, then every command he gives you about loving your spouse, about loving your children, about what it means to to be proven first in the realm of your own family, all those things will resonate in your heart and that will be where you begin. If you're more faithful to Christ outside your home than you are inside your home, you are missing the mark. Let it begin with the nearest and dearest relationships of your life. Love Jesus in the way you love those people. Serve Jesus in the way you serve those people. Believe the gospel there. Forgive there. Be patient there. And so I I just want to just pastorally warn you, even when you think about putting Christ first, which is the right way to think, understand that means that now you're going to receive all the commands that He gives you about all the earthly relationships you're involved with. And, And you're going to seek to honor Him in all those things. Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Are you a member of the family of Christ? And if not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and today you will discover that He is your Savior, brother. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You for the clarity that is offered to us through the, through the question and the answer that Jesus gave on an occasion when His own family was concerned about Him. May we take these things into our hearts. May we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that is saving. And may we follow Him all our days in a way that puts Him first. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.